So when we talk about evidence, the, the first thing that would ordinarily come to mind is people in the witness chair, right, in the hot chair in court being questioned uh, by the plaintiff or by the prosecutor, by the defense attorney or by the, the defendant's attorney, right? So this is because oral evidence is the most common form of evidence. And how we define oral evidence is where someone comes and they make particular statements and the statements they are making is about what they saw, what they witnessed on a particular day, what they heard on the particular day. So that particular witness comes forth to the court, stands up on the, on the witness stand and says, on such a day I saw this or on such a day I heard this, right? And that is oral evidence, essentially how it is defined. And oral evidence is given verbally, of course. So people come to the witness stand and they are in the presence of both parties and then they ultimately give the evidence, right? So the, the particular witness will come and they'll be in the, in the presence of the accused person and in the presence of the state. And then that particular witness will give the, will adduce their particular evidence on what it is they've seen and what it is they heard. And of course, before they start the uh, testimony, they'll inevitably have to take some form of a, a uh, oath whereby they swear that they're of course going to tell the truth in the court during the course of the of the uh, testimony so that it's in fact what we refer to as sworn testimony and once they have taken that oath they will be um, subjected to the various stages of questioning and we know now from from civil procedure and from criminal procedure there will be a examination in chief where the party whose witness it is will have an opportunity to question that witness and to, to lay essentially the lay out the evidence uh, for the court as to what it is that witness has to say that is favorable to their particular case. And then, of course, the other party whose witness who they are testifying against will have an opportunity to cross-examine that witness and to poke holes in that particular uh, witness's um, statements and witness's evidence, right? And then finally, the party whose witness it is will have an opportunity to re-examine that witness. And like we had uh, stated before in the other units, the purposes of that re-examination is not to uh, bring forth new evidence that the witness hadn't covered with you with the particular attorney during the examination in chief but rather just to clarify certain uh, misunderstandings uh, that might have popped up during the course of the cross-examination so just to make it clear uh, for the court to give the court a bit more clarity uh, in order to prevent any confusion on the particular facts now how does the court ultimately uh, weigh a particular witnesses um, statements, what what amount of value does the court attach to any given witness, right? And the amount of value and the amount of weight that a court will give to a particular witness's uh, oral evidence testimony will ultimately depend upon the credibility of the witness. So how credible does the court find the particular witness uh, that is giving testimony, right? And the court will use certain factors in the process of assessing the credibility of the witness, right? And we've got some of those factors listed in your notes there. 
and you will see it speaks about consistency of testimony. And of course, this makes a lot of sense because one knows that when someone starts flip-flopping and where, they, where their story changes, we ordinarily would say that person is lying because they are now being inconsistent in how they are presenting their story. So if there's a lack of consistency in the testimony, then of course the court is going to draw a negative inference and the court might uh, attach less weight to the particular witness's evidence because the court might find that the witness is less cred credible. Now, of course, if the witness is consistent in their testimony and they stand firm and, 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 and they've, uh, no matter what comes up during cross-examination, no matter what questions they are asked, they remain consistent in their story. Then in that instance, the court would, of course, give more credibility, uh, would find the witness to be more credible and therefore would attach more value to that particular witness's um, statements. Now, another thing that the court would look at is that the court would examine the demeanor of the of the witness, right? So the court will see how is this particular person acting? Are they are they looking away when they are answering questions? Are they shuffling um, in the in the seat? Are they emotional, right? And the court will, based on how this particular person is conducting themselves physically, the the demeanor, the way in which they. Uh, appear present in the courtroom, the court will use this demeanor and, and, and interpret this demeanor in a particular way. So either interpret it in a manner that gives more credibility to the particular witness or interpret the demeanor of the witness as one who is potentially lying and therefore the court is going to give less credibility to that particular witness's uh, testimony. Another thing that the court will look at is the integrity of the witness. So if, of course, if we have someone who comes and, 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 and a convict comes and he presents evidence about uh, another individual who he used to share a prison cell with and says that this individual said something to him, that in that instance, the, the integrity of the witness would be of a lesser value because of the fact that you're dealing with a convicted person. So integrity of the particular witness is something that the court will, will take into account and where a witness uh, is of questionable integrity, right, then with this evidence that they, that they uh, lie, then in that instance the court would uh, attach less credibility and therefore less weight to the particular uh, witness. Uh, another thing that 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 is concerned uh, considered in the process of establishing the credibility of the witness is how old the witness is, because of course, if you're dealing with a five-year-old witness or a six-year-old witness who um, saw or heard something and is coming to court and is now giving oral testimony on what they saw or heard, in that particular in instance, the court is going to be cognizant, is going to be aware of the the, the young age of the of the witness and how that young age might impact on the ability to have um, understood what it is they were seeing and what it is they are, are, um, had heard and the ability to convey what they had seen and what they had heard because of the immaturity therefore the court will give a bit less credibility to the um, to the testimony and therefore that testimony will weigh less by virtue of them being uh, of such a younger age. Now, another factor that uh, is mentioned in the notes, but I would find a bit more controversial, is someone's ability to communicate. Because often in the South African context, we are dealing with people who are not necessarily uh, 
well versed in the the languages in which trials would ordinarily be conducted in and they might not necessarily be translators present and so i would be more um careful in saying that a, a, a presiding officer can legitimately take into consideration the communication skills or abilities of an individual in the process of assessing the credibility of that particular witness and in the process of uh, assessing how much value they're going to be attaching to that specific word, uh, witness's testimony. Now, during the course of questioning a witness, uh, the particular legal uh, representative uh, should not ask a leading question, right? The particular officer before the court should not ask a leading question to the witness. And a leading question is essentially a question that will uh, suggest a particular answer, so it leads the particular witness to a specific answer, or it assumes that the existence of certain facts, right? So the question itself makes an assumption that certain facts have indeed occurred. So, for instance, a leading question in a rape case, right? Your legal officer, your, your prosecutor will get up and your prosecutor is going to be uh, questioning their own witness. They are going to be leading an examination in chief and during the course of cross-examining, sorry, during the course of um, examining their own witness and asking questions of their own witness, the prosecutor says, uh, was the, the, the individual that you saw wearing a red shirt or a blue shirt on the night in question, right? In that instance, the prosecutor has already led the witness to conclude a certain fact, right? The witness is there to give their own account, to tell their own story about what has happened. But here, the particular prosecutor has said to the witness, it can either be blue or it can be red. So the prosecutor has led the witness to the color of the shirt by giving the witness two options. Is it red or is it blue? So that's an example, for instance, of a leading question. Another example when we refer to a leading question as assuming the existence of certain facts would be uh, war where the, the issue of whether the accused is guilty of rape, right? And during the course of the examination in chief, the prosecutor asks the witness, uh, was the accused punching her while he was raping her, right? In that particular instance, the prosecutor is making an assumption as to the fact that the accused has indeed be, uh, raped the victim and in so doing, the prosecutor has asked a leading question. Now, during the course of cross-examination, of course, this will be a little bit more heated because the, in this instance, uh, the particular legal representative, the particular legal officer wants to establish that the, the particular witness's testimony is in fact uh, false or faulty. And of course, now it can be a bit more heated. But the important thing to remember is that even during the course of cross-examination, at no point can the legal officer ask the witness any question that would be considered rude or any question that might be considered abusive of that particular witness. And when we are dealing with cross-examination, so remember with examination in chief, we were not allowed, the prosecutor was not allowed to ask the witness 
was the individual wearing the blue shirt or the red shirt. But in cross-examination, right, so let's say we have the defendant who uh, presented certain evidence. In cross-examination now, the prosecutor can ask leading questions of the defendant's witness. So leading questions are forbidden during the examination in chief, but leading questions are permissible during the course of cross-examination. Now, when it comes to oral evidence, we have what is referred to as the cautionary rule. And what the cautionary rule refers to is that when it comes to certain types of oral evidence, right, the court is going to apply a level of caution. So the court is going to approach this particular person's testimony with a bit more, uh, a bit more carefully, with a bit, the court will be a bit more wary of how much credibility and how much weight the court should lend to this particular person's testimony, right? Because a person whose evidence is subject to a cautionary rule may be, may be an unreliable uh, witness, right? But the point being that even though cautionary evidence uh, may be unreliable, cautionary evidence is not necessarily inadmissible. So because evidence is subject to the cautionary rule, it may still be admitted into court, right? It just means that it may be treated as less reliable evidence because of the fact that a cautionary rule attaches to it, right? And so there's the strictest standard that the court applies when the court evaluates the, the testimony to determine the, the veracity, the, the, the accuracy, the credibility of that particular um, testimony. And examples of the of the cautionary rule is in instances of a single witness. So where there's only one person in a particular matter who is giving evidence that shows that the accused person is guilty of a particular crime, then the court is going to be a bit more cautious in the amount of weight that the court attaches to this witness's testimony because of the fact that there is no other witnesses that can back up what it is that this witness is saying, right? There is no other witness who separately implicates the, the accused in this particular crime. So because this is a single witness, the court will treat this evidence with a level of caution, right? But that is not to say that the court can't take a single witness, right? All the evidence that's coming from this one witness and use this one witness's evidence as a basis for convicting someone. So if the court, uh, if there is a single witness before the court and the court uses the witness's evidence and the court assesses that evidence and the court regards that evidence as satisfactory in all material respects, right? The court considers this evidence satisfactory. It holds up in all the important ways, right? It holds up against uh, scrutiny, that the evidence uh, shows that it is credible. So in those instances, the court can take the evidence of a single witness that is subject to the cautionary rule and use that evidence in order to convict someone as the basis of a conviction if the evidence is satisfactory in all material respects. Now, other evidence that will be subject to the cautionary rule, and we've already covered this, covered this is the evidence of children, of course. Courts are going to be treating 
uh, evidence given by children with a little bit more um, caution because of the fact of the child's immaturity, because of the fact of, of, of uh, the child's imagination, right? And in these instances, we can think particularly of, of rape cases, of cases involving incest, of cases involving molestation, where we go, might have a single child witness involved, right? And where we have child witnesses in our courts, there needs to be special arrangements made so that these particular witnesses, these children, are able to give their testimony in what we refer to as in-camera proceedings, right? In-camera proceedings is just a way of saying that this testimony is not going to take place in the particular courtroom, but that the, a separate room will now be provided for the children, and in the separate room, the child will now uh the particular evidence will be will be uh, taken from the child, right? The particular evidence will be adduced. Now, should the presiding officer decide that they are not going to be relying on this particular child's evidence, right? Should they reject the evidence of a particular child? Then under Section 158 of the Criminal Procedure Act, there's an obligation on the presiding officer to provide reasons as to the basis upon which the court has refused to accept this particular child's uh, oral evidence. Now, of course, this can be considered very controversial because in the context of um, child witnesses, of course, we have uh, children's rights and if uh, less evidence is being attached to the to the weight of a child's evidence on the basis of the fact that they are a child, there is a potential uh, constitutional challenge to be made there because of course it is more uh, it should be more subtle than that, and the amount of credibility that can be attached to a child's evidence. Uh, might depend upon uh, the, the age of a particular child, how young is that child, how old is that child, and there might be a certain level of, of discrimination on the basis of age that might also be taking place there, right? So it's interesting in a sense that there can be constitutional arguments to be made around treating uh, children's evidence as uh, less credible, Right, that's not to necessarily say there might be a successful argument to be made, but there's definitely a constitutional argument to be made there. But in any event, the point being that the courts, when faced with the testimony of a child or when faced with the testimony of a single witness, will be more careful in how the court evaluates that evidence, will be more careful in assessing the credibility of that evidence.